Marvelites here listening to Marvel's Pull List for brand new Marvel Comics on sale February 9th, 2022. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. Yeah. Oh, jazz, jazz, jazz. What a week. What a time to be alive. How are what you? What a time. Great. Cold, but great. Sure. Well, you, you chose to live in Chicago. You I sure did. You could have stayed a mile away from me here in Yonkers, New York. You could be hanging out. With tiny little Catherine Grace and Don't don't rub it in. Look, look, I'm just saying. Anyway, we've been telling people y'all can email us with the email pull list at Marvel.com. That's P-U-L-L-L-I-S-T at Marvel.com. Three L's in there. Um, and we've started to get more emails in. We got one in here that I wanted to read at the top of the show. It's from Jake Bolton, because this one made me happy. Jake says, hey, Pullist, I have to say I am in love with this podcast and twin podcast as well. Getting to hear from all the creators and writers and artists brings a whole new level to the comics I have loved my whole life. I wanted to thank everyone on both podcasts from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Jake. That is a lovely, lovely email. We got an email in here from Michael Eisenstein who says, I cannot begin to tell you how pleasantly surprised I was to hear my listener mail on episode 197, the 10 Lives of Wolverine episode with Benjamin Percy and Joshua Kassara. Three years ago, House of X and Powers of Ten drew me back into regularly reading the X-Desk titles with the start of Dawn of X. For this reason, having my letter read at the end of this episode of Ten Lives, Deaths of Wolverine seemed especially meaningful. I'm so excited to read what all the creators on the X-Desk have in store for this year and beyond. I wanted to share that I am eagerly awaiting the trade release of Truth, Red, White, and Black. I've heard... Yeah, right? I first heard about the story from your reading club that we did uh, way back when with uh, Vidayala and Danny Lore. And uh, I'm interjecting that there. And uh, Michael sends a big shout out and welcome to the front of the show to you, Jasmine. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Listeners, you couldn't see that Jasmine put her hands <laughs> to her chin like, like, like she was talking right to you, Michael. So it was very sweet. It is very sweet. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate you sending it in. Anybody else wants to send us emails, of course, make sure you mark it OK to read so we can read it on the show. And you can also uh, use the hashtag Marvel's Pull List to share it with us uh, on yeah. Twitter. It's good All stuff. of this will also be in the in the show notes as well. So, yes. Yeah, we'll put it in there. Um, yeah, we're going to get through a whole bunch of stuff because this is the official Marvel podcast of Marvel Comics. We're going to give you three picks of our own favorite comics that released this week. Then we're going to tell you about the other amazing brand new comics, give out some awards, tell you about the Infinity Comics, those vertical scrolling comics you can only read on Marvel Unlimited, as well as the other books hitting Marvel Unlimited, the collections on sale this week, and even getting to a reading club. This is a fun reading club this week. Yeah, we're talking to author Nick Stone. You might know her works like... Dear Martin, she's written some stuff for uh, Marvel. It's a trilogy now of uh, Shuri stories, which are really great. And she is now hosting an upcoming podcast about the history of Marvel Comics. And the season's all about Black Panther. Do you know anything about this podcast? Uh, Yeah, I might have worked on it. Oh, yeah. You might be the producer on that show. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, you've been busy. You've been doing awesome work. We're going to have a lot of fun getting to that. But let's dive into our brand new Marvel Comics this week. The first pick is one of mine. It is one that actually caused both Jasmine and I to shed some tears. uh, Wonderful tears. uh, For it is New Mutants, number 24. And it is written by Vita Ayala. 
Art by Danilo Beirut. Colors by Dan Brown. Letters by VCs Travis Lanham. Uh, wow. Vita comes out with one of my favorite issues of the Krakoan age, maybe? Oh, I mean, yes. it is not an action issue. It is what I think of when I think of a great in-between big action series X-Men story. It is all about character. It is all about relationships, emotions. It is about world building. It is about building all the characters' um, connectivities together. It pulls in story threads from the last two years of this title. It builds and pushes us into the future of this title and the the rest of the X-Books. It jumps off of the resurrection of Thunderbird in a way that there's a, what is it? It's one, two, three pages in particular in the middle of this book. I think it got us both. There's this survivor's guilt that uh, Warpath has. So it's James Proudstar is Warpath, who has actually been around and, and active as a comic book character far longer than John Proudstar, a.k.a. Thunderbird. Thunderbird lasted, you know, he only showed up in a handful of titles before he died early on in the Uncanny X-Men run. But you've seen James grow and become this amazing superhero. He's been on New Mutants and X-Force and, and X-Men and all over the place. And this is like the first time he gets to see his brother since his brother's resurrected. And he's just racked by guilt and sadness of not having done more. And I, I have to read this, uh, this dialogue that Vita writes. It's John Thunderbird embracing Warpath and says, shut up. You fought night and day to hold up your people. You've broken bones and lost blood to protect those who need protecting. I'm proud of you, James. You've done enough. Let me shoulder your burden for a while. Rest. I, it gives oh. me, ch- it literally gives me chills reading it i literally texted vita and was like vita i just did my makeup (laughs) i i now i have to redo it all because i'm a mess oh and then you've got you've got uh akihiro and laura and gabby uh coming back together again so the you know the children of wolverine having a great uh, sibling moment in here you've got awesome moments with magic in in this um characters who are going through some really difficult uh, personal and physical elements in here, like Kosar. Uh, there's oh, That was oh, a story that got me the most. Oh, my gosh. As someone who identifies with, like, you, you know, what you look like and your appearance and having it project, like, who you are on the inside, like, that mm-hmm. hit me so hard. Seeing that and that conversation being talked about around, you know, some of these new mutants was a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Ugh. So good. Then there's stuff that's going on with Madeline Pryor, with the Shadow King. I mean, this issue is jam-packed without throwing a damn punch. And uh, I suggest everyone go pick it up because it's that damn good. All right. Up next is Avengers 53, written by Jason Aaron and Juan Fergari. Color artist David Curell, lettered by VC's Corey Pettit. This issue is action-packed from, like, cover to cover. The story takes place inside the celestial being that they're currently residing in. And it's being attacked by a different version of Doom. And on one side, you have Doom. And on the other side, you have Deathlock, Black Panther, Namor, and Jane Foster. And it's such an odd cluster of heroes, but they work perfectly. As a Jane Foster fan, seeing her carry her own weight amongst like some of these big hitters in terms of Avengers was amazing. You get glimpses of her, you know, in her moments of 
vulnerability when she's facing off against Dr. Doom by herself. Mm -hmm. yeah. And not only is she fighting, she's also protecting other people. Like she at one point gives up her all weapon and gives it to the Deathlock and is fighting Dr. Doom by herself without a weapon. And then meanwhile, you have Mr. Horse, who's also like off to the side fighting, which is great. And in one particular scene, you have him kind of swooping in and saving Jane Foster, which was great. And Namor in this book, holy crap. He did not hold back at all. He's fighting another version of Thanos, uh, mm -hmm. which is a younger version of Thanos, who's a lot more murder crazy. Uh, <laughs> and by murder crazy, he just likes to dissect a lot of people to figure yeah. out how they work. And so he is in this weird mode of like, oh, this celestial tower, I want to know how this works. And he's like rubbing his face, like after he makes an incision in the celestial being, he's like rubbing his face inside of it. Like, ooh, this is amazing. I love this. Like, it, it's really weird, but also like very Thanos. Um, and so like Namor comes in and just like absolutely kicks his ass. And it's just, this is what I like envision when I think about like a perfect Avengers issue. Bunch of heroes fighting some of the worst villains and just owning them completely yeah. but the fact that valkyrie kind of like plays a key part in this book makes me really excited about her future with the avengers yeah uh but we have one more pick it is secret x-men number one and i just had this like sad realization that this was just a one shot not the launch of a series so we will enjoy this because it is a friggin' great issue it is uh brought to us by Tini Howard on the on writing, Francesco Mobley on art, Jesus Arbutov on colors, and VCs Clayton Cowles on the letters. And listen to this cast who shows up in this book: Sunspot, Cannonball, Banshee, Forge, Boom Boom, Armor, Tempo, Marrow, Strong Guy, Deathbird, Smasher, Gladiator. The last three are not X-Men, obviously, but still, that's a huge, awesome cast of mutants. And then I cracked up because the big text on that page says, Shh, it's the X-Men. Which Got me because the book is called Secret X-Men. Basically, it's the idea that here's a group of characters who really, 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 really wanted to be on the new X-Men team. And for one reason or another, it didn't work out and they didn't get chosen. But here they can be an X-Men crew and it's them going out into space, dealing with a Sidri or these really weird, gnarly manta ray looking alien bounty hunter things that have always been super cool uh you get the shiar shenanigans you get big mystery rooms you get all kinds of cool cosmic x-men stuff in here great costumes like they, oh, the, the yes. team gets a, a unified look i know you want action figures in oh, these yes. outfits i mean i i've been wanting a boom boom figure like with this yeah. type of costume for years so yes yeah, she still has her overcoat yes. and the giant ponytail. There's even Danilo does this great. Uh, I think it's the last page of the book. Um, most of the shot is sort of a riff on John Cassidy's shot of the X-Men from Astonishing X-Men number one, where the team in their new outfits where they say, let's astonish them. And they walk out. It's got that angle. There's a feeling of fun and excitement and joy around this book. It's really fun. It's a great one. And it feels like it's kind of important for what the future of the Krakoan era has in store. All right, Jasmine, it is time to get to the other new comics for this week. But of course, as is tradition here on Marvel's Pull List, we need to give out some awards. And you are now the award namer. You have to tell us yes. what award are we giving out this week? So 
I've been thinking a lot about this. I think I'm mm-hmm. going to switch it up a bit, okay? Yep. Um, last week, we did the Flaming Phalanges Award, um, and we pulled that name from Excellent Number 1. So I kind of want to continue doing that, pulling them from our comic books for the week. But instead of telling you which one it's from, I'm going to leave it up to you guys to find. It'll be a little bit of a Easter egg hunt. Ooh, you know what? I'll make this even better. The Ooh. first person to find this and to tweet at both Jasmine and me on Twitter will get something from me. Ooh. But you have to tweet to both of us. That's at Agent M and at Jasmiest. So yeah, tweet to us. Use the hashtag Marvel's Pull List. First person, just one person. We need a picture of the panel Ooh. that it came from. Even better. As Even proof. Better. I like that. So while I was reading, I picked out a couple potential names. I wanna, I wanna get your read on some of these. We have the Bickering Seagulls over Mackerel Award, <laughs> or we could do. The Snot-Nosed Sadist Award. There is the Buckets of Data Award, which I don't know what a bucket of data is. And then the last one that I have is Never Time for Clowns Award. (laughs) Um, Each of these were pulled from our comics this week. Yeah, they're all pulled from comics, different issues. Uh, I I say I like them all. Snot-Nosed Sadist is just fun. All right, SNS Award. Let's go. All right, so we're going to be giving out our snot-nosed sadist awards this week. Jasmine, would you like to kick us off with these new comics? Yeah. All right, first up, we have Amazing Spider-Man 88.Beyonce. I mean, Bay. Um, Same thing. But I immediately slacked Ryan after I read this, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so happy that we talked to Jed McKay last week, mostly because there is a huge reveal in this book that ties to that short run of Daughters of the Dragon. I was completely shocked by it, uh, and it's starting to tie a lot of things together, uh, especially with the Beyond Corporation and what's going on there. This book stars Hornet. It's another side story uh, that is part of the Beyond chapter. So it's Hobie Brown, the previous Prowler, and he finds out that his company, which is a crowdfunding type of platform, uh, has been bought out by the Beyond company. And in order to figure out why or who, he has to go and break into a farm in the middle of nowhere mm-hmm. that is more than just a farm. I really dug this one. I think Hobie Brown is more known now as Spider-Punk from an alternate universe, but yeah. Prowler version of Hobie is super smart, super cool. I love seeing him. I was really glad he showed back up in the Clone Conspiracy. Seeing him here, I was like, give me a new Slingers book right freaking now after this. I'm all for it. Yes, so my snot-nosed sadist award this week will go to i'll give it to hobie yeah like you said you want more slingers i want more slingers hell yeah all right next up is devil's reign number four and this very nearly could have been one of my picks of the week it is this this event is like coming to this big crescendo and so much happens in this issue like there's some really cool stuff with typhoid mary and kingpin um marco coquetto maybe now draws my favorite version of the rhino the way he draws yes rhino, i was like what he looks so gnarly and so cool and like there's a, a character beaten here with rhino and some of the heroes um there's a really sweet moment with sue storm and reed richards uh there's jessica jones being like like if this were not a you know an all ages ish book she would be cursing and like it would be really fun man she straight up puts the avengers like 
in place. She's like, no, we're going to kick yeah. this guy's ass. Like, oh, let's yeah. go. Yeah. And the Avengers yeah. are like, well, we need a plan. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to kick this guy's ass. Yeah, plan is I'm going to beat him up. It's great. Um, <laughs> I will give my snot nose sadist award to the final two pages of which I will not spoil for anyone. The final beat had me on the edge of my seat. It was fantastic comic books. Hell yeah. Next up, we have Hawkeye Kate Bishop number four. You know, we have Kate Bishop who is tied up and currently hanging out with the villains in the back room where her sister is being held hostage and she needs to break out of this thing. And I really want to give my snot nose sadist award to Enid Balam and Brittany Peer uh, for this last page in this book, which I love. Um, it's not too much of a spoiler, but Kate Bishop is floating in a pool and the entire hotel is being reflected through the pool as it's being, well, it's it, it's being destroyed. But it's it's a great end cap to the, this story uh, as we get into the last issue of the mini. It's so simple, but it's also just such a pretty view because you get these two characters framed in the pool and then you get the entirety of this hotel reflected through it. And it really just sets the scene of where we're at in this book. Yeah. All right. You know, one of the one of the things that I've really treasured over the last couple of years, two years or so, are the uh, Maestro limited series that we've gotten. Yes. From writer Peter David. And so this week we are blessed by a third Maestro limited series, the launch of Maestro World War M. And again, this is another book I was very nearly going to pick because it's so freaking good. It's got uh, Maestro versus the original Human Torch, Jim Hammond. You've got Abomination showing up. You've got Namor showing up in this, you know, in this timeline, who I, I think Hedemon Peralta does such an incredible job of making Namor look cool, regal, but also weird and alien in the way that he did originally. I love him here. And something you don't often see, gills. He's got them little neck gills, and I love that. Oh, no, it creeps me out. Oh, fantastic. And he's got a great little mustache. I just want to... Give him a little. It, it looks like a like an evil twirly kind of mustache. Yeah, yeah. Too. yeah. Uh, he's got a family. He's just living his best life. Um, and you would say, all right. So is that where your award is going? No, friends. My award for this issue, my uh, snot nose sadist award, goes to the letter at the end of the issue that is penned by writer Peter David about George Perez, and it's just this beautiful note about his friend George who how they met how they started working together how they've become friends over the years it's really sweet um as i think many of our comic book readers and and listeners know George has announced that he has terminal illness and he is just he's out there he's like doing stuff with fans and one of comic books greatest artists of all time literally my favorite artist yeah i mean truly incredible um and like for those who don't know, like he was the artist on Future Imperfect, which is kind of where these stories take place. Not just kind of. This is truly this is part of why this is so cool is because that Future Imperfect story from I think it's nineteen ninety oh, is it nineteen ninety two? Are we really? on the thirtieth anniversary of Future Imperfect? Oh wow. That also I, one of my all time favorite stories. Yeah, it's also one of my all time favorite stories and it is for the longest time it was just this one off where we got a future version of Hulk. And these series have filled in some gaps. And the great thing about this is you know how it ends, but it doesn't take away from the surprises and the joy of what each of these Maestro series has provided. Yeah. Next up, we have Moon Knight number eight. 
So a lot of my friends keep reaching out and they're asking me about Moon Knight. They want to they want to know how to get into the character, where they should start. And honestly, I keep pointing them to this series. This the series is so good and it gives you a, a picture perfect like depiction of the character. And in this story particularly, it is a double page spread that I'm going to give my Snot No Sadist Award to. And it's drawn and colored by Alessandro Capuccio and Rochelle Rosenberg. And it depicts both Kanshu, uh, like the Elder God, as well as Hunter's Moon on one side. And on the opposite side, we have this... this uh, like a young god. Who yeah, it's a young sort of god of into being. storytelling, right? Yeah. There's only one like word balloon in the whole thing. And it's coming from Hunter's Moon. And it pretty much just says... For what is God if not a story? And I love the, like, the meaning behind it. I love the meaning behind this book. I love that it plays with storytelling. And so for that, this double page spread gets my Snot Nose Sadist Award. All right, I'll take the next one as we get into the Star Wars books as well. Um, and I'll start with Star Wars Darth Vader number 20. In this book, Vader realizes that Crimson Dawn has infiltrated his, his team and he gets a list. And he decides, I'm not even going to question these folks. I'm just going to murder them uh, and deal with the repercussions later. It ends up essentially causing a couple problems within uh, the Empire and Darth Vader and Palpatine, really. And I want to give my award to the... You want to give your award to all them hats in the book? Because there's some people who wear some dope I was hats. just, I was about to say, I was like, I'm going to give my award to Raphael Ayanka. Because there's a scene where Vader is murdering all these folks and you don't really get to see it happen. You only get to see the hats of the of the the victims flying in the air as he, they're getting sliced. Um, and the hats that this artist draws are bonkers. Like some of them just I do not understand how they work. Like one of these looks like earmuffs, but also like a graduation cap on top of that um, with strings hanging out to the side. It's very much like an off-screen kill, but like just seeing these hats floating up in the air, you're just like, what is going on? Like, yeah. no one's graduating here. They're just getting murdered and throwing their hats up in the air. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, all right, we've got another Star Wars book this week. It's the end of a limited series with Star Wars The High Republic Trail of Shadows number five, which I freaking really enjoyed this series. This is a series of characters I have no knowledge of. I don't this the High Republic time frame I know very little of, um, and so most of this I come in blind, and I've completely like fallen for these characters. And I want to give my Snot No Sadist award actually to Giada Marchisio who did the coloring on this issue because there's some beautiful color work. The first page of this issue is a stunning, stunning image. I highly suggest this this entire series. It was really good. All right, last up is X-Deaths of Wolverine number two. And man, the story is heating up. Now, we're four issues deep into this epic, and it is awesome. We're getting more and more revealed. A lot of these pieces are starting to come together in the story. And there is one scene in here that I want to give my uh, Snot No Sadist Award to that involves a bathtub, an iron, a bottle of iodine, a bottle of whiskey... A knife that is heated with a Zippo lighter um, by one Moira McTaggart. And I don't want to give it away, but holy crap. When I saw this scene, I my jaw dropped. I was not expecting that. Um, but let's just say Moira's on the run and she needs to make sure that no one's following her. It's wild. It's uh, 
like I feel like I'm shaking my chair and like gripping it really hard reading it. It's so good. It's really intense. Um, it's just hit after hit after hit. Hit after hit after hit. Speaking of hit after hit after hit, let's talk about Infinity Comics, the vertical scrolling comics you can only read in Marvel Unlimited. We've got X-Men Unlimited Infinity Comic number 21 this week. And on top of that, we also have Life of Wolverine Infinity Comic number four and Spider-Bot Infinity Comic number 10. Now, last week... Uh, was a surprise entrance into Infinity Comics because last week Mighty Marvel Holiday Special Year of the Wong Infinity Comic was released by Amy Chu and Edge Sue, which uh, it, the, the solicit for it is when an ancient demon attacks Manhattan's Chinese New Year parade, Wong jumps into the fray to protect the city, but he's not alone in the fight. Next, we have all the new books coming to MU, Marvel Unlimited including Amazing Fantasy number 4, Death of Doctor Strange Avengers 1, as well as Strange Academy Presents the Death of Doctor Strange number 1. All right, that's a whole lot of digital stuff. But also, if you want collections, we've got uh, some great stuff in here. The recent Kang limited series is now collected. Get your butts all over that. So good. And of course, Volume 3 of Hellions. So good. One of our faves. All right, that's all we have for comics this week. Ryan, you ready to talk to Nick Stone? Yes, let's talk about Black Panther. Let's talk about some Shuri. Let's talk about all the good stuff. Killmonger. Oh, yes, that's right. We are talking about one of my favorite comics of all time, Killmonger by any means. Now. Tucker, hold on to your butt. It is time to talk about one of my favorite comics of all time. And you know this, longtime listeners of the show know this. We are going to talk about Killmonger, and we can't do that alone. We have a wonderful guest this episode. We have writer, author, extravagant, awesome uh, podcast guest. We have Nick Stone on the show today. Nick, how you doing? Doing it. Nick. You came to us and you were like, let's talk about Killmonger. Is that correct? Or was this a suggestion from our wonderful No, producer? this was all me. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I love this. First of all, he is like gorgeously drawn in this comic to the point where I'm like, do you need a baby mama in <laughs> the comic universe? Because I got you on that. Uh, it's just beautiful. I'm excited to talk about it. Heck yeah. Yeah, I remember when this series was coming out it was one of those where every single issue was like oh my god this is amazing but whatever it was it's just one of those things in the air in the water in the zeitgeist it was the right place the right time the right character and then bringing together brian hill and juan ferreira it's just one of those magical perfect time capsule things that gave us this beautiful gem yeah, I think what you were just saying about the zeitgeist is really spot on. Like most things that tend to kind of extend and live on in perpetuity forever and continue to have this kind of weight behind them are birthed in times when like it's really just sheer dumb luck, mm-hmm. you know, like it just happens to drop at the right time. And it speaks to so many things happening at that time. I will speak for myself that I even look back on a little bit as a reminder of the way the world was working at a certain point in time. And there's so much in this book that's just like, damn, I feel that. Damn, I feel that too. Yeah. Like there's just, it's just very, there's a lot of grit to it, but it's also the nuance. It's all about the nuance for me in this. Yeah. Uh, You know, Killmonger is an interesting character in that, 
his history in Marvel Comics is not vast. He existed for a relatively short amount of time, had one very impactful storyline, and thanks to Marvel Studios' Black Panther, has sort of had a renaissance of the last five, almost not even five years, because Black Panther came out in the beginning of 2018. And so this, alongside the film, can prove to you that this is one of Marvel's greatest antagonists. And I would not say villain. I would not Mm -hmm. say, you know, a bad guy. He has his own journey. He has a lot going on. But when you put these two side by side and you just you have this this picture of of a man who has gone through so much and there's no way you can, like, deny the importance of the character in Marvel Mythos, um, which, again, of only got to be less than 30 appearances. Like, as a storyteller myself, it's rare that you're going to find out a character's, like, the end of a character's arc at the beginning of the story. Mm. But that's what actually makes this book so fantastic. It's like, you know where he's going to land. So the story is all about how he gets there. And it's what makes it interesting. And what made me keep turning the pages was not only that he's, like, super hot. He's, like, one of the (laughs) hardest, hottest cartoons I've ever seen drawn. But also the fact that I know where he's headed. I just need to know how he's going to get there. Like it's literally a book about the journey and very much not the destination. Let's get into the creative team a little bit. We mentioned writer Brian Hill. We mentioned artist Juan Ferreira. Colors in here by Eduardo Ferreira alongside Juan. Letters by VC Josebino. And again, the editorial team, Sarah Brunstad and Will Moss, very integral into letting great storytellers tell their stories. There's so many like images to each issue that get seared into my mind. Mm. The way that Juan draws Bast and the way that Brian depicts Bast. And like, you know, we, we've seen Bast show up, especially in Tanahasi's run of varying degrees of like coolness. Like Bast is usually like not the nicest deity in the world. And I like that in here, Bast is like, come home. Mm-hmm. Come home. I, I like the depiction of Bast in here. What was something from the first issue that uh, that you really glommed onto, Nick? Look, like I said, if you can draw a character that I am genuinely attracted to, like <laughs> we have something real going on. And also that the other thing that I really, really loved about the first, the synergy with this team, like the synergy between the artist and the writer is insane. Like there's so much happening, right? Like you have... It opens with him in this office at MIT. He's with his guidance counselor. And like, as we're hearing him interact with this white woman, you're seeing bits of his past kind of float up to the surface. And the imagery for that, the way it so seamlessly fits, but also stands out in the panels is just like, I'm like, how on earth do people pull this kind of thing off? You know, like even inserting flashback into like rapidly moving narrative is not an easy thing to do. And doing it with pictures, I was just like, damn. Like even just the idea of different color palette, right? So like you have lots of cool tones in the present day images. And then in these flashback scenes, there's a lot of fire, there's red, even the greens and the blues in the flashback scenes are muted, but they're warmer. They have like a yellow undertone. So that part is so cool to me. I can look at this thing without reading a thing and recognize that these panels are happening at a different time than the other ones. I get chills 
just re-looking at pages. <laughs> like not even reading yeah. certain moments. It's so incredible. And um I think yeah, there there are these moments, like those flashback moments are so so important. And I don't know, there's a little bit of a catch twenty two to me saying this as like a Marvel employee and as a white Marvel employee as well, because what I'm saying is there's, I think, something so subversive about what Brian Hill is doing here in so many different scenes where it's when, you know, he uh, sleeps with the woman and and leaves and, and says colonizer at the end. It's when he gets dumped out of the SUV and, you know, somebody mentions like Christmas came early or something like that. And he says, I'm not a Christian. Um, you know, it's, it's these little subtle moments that keep coming back that keep reminding you that this is a character who is his own thing. He's his own person. He has his own priorities, his own outlook. And we can't take anything for granted in that way. So like this, and this is going to sound ridiculous, but this is one of my favorite images is, um, Hannah, this blonde woman, is literally standing wrapped in a sheet. And in her speech bubble, there's like a bleeped out curse word. And there's something about the contrast of that image. Like you're literally naked wrapped in a sheet, but you can't use the F word on the page. <laughs> like just, but it also, and people are going to be like, how the hell did she even make this connection? But like, it speaks to me a lot about blackness in America, honestly, in a very strange way. Like there are things that Killmonger can't really say aloud, despite the fact that he says a lot of stuff aloud, right? There are so many things that he says that you'd be like, yo, he actually said that. But still, as a Black man, he knows that there are limitations. And you see that even in his conversation with Hannah in the first place. So even seeing this image of this woman in a sheet, like standing all like seductively and saying this thing about like i hope you find what you're looking for in new york mm-hmm. and then he makes the colonizer comment comment and she's like what the <laughs> star at symbol <laughs> hashtag dollar sign does that mean like it's just it, it i really i don't know there's something about that, that i really appreciated and i'm sure it wasn't deliberate but it did speak mm. to me definitely um as great as the first issue is i think it the, the series gets progressively better it's like a you watch a team just level up from issue to issue, page to page, panel to panel. And in some cases, because it's Juan and the way he structures his pages, he does a lot of double page spreads and long, you know, uh, horizontal and, and sort of cinematic panels. And they just get, it gets better and better. Uh, And to your point, Nick, about the way that, Juan draws uh, Killmonger being like, he is so sexy. He somehow like continues to be that, but every character in the, like every core character in this book looks so good. And like, you just want to bite their neck. You just like, even (laughs) Kingpin, I just want to crawl all over Kingpin and be like, you have never looked this good, Wilson. It's wild. Correct. It, It is wild. I'm like, and honestly, that actually makes some of the content easier to digest mm. if you think about it, right? So like, okay, I have two kids. My younger son is five and is 
hell on earth. Like, <laughs> but he is so cute. Like he is, abs- this child is beautiful. And so he gets away with so much. And this is like at school, he's getting away with all kinds of things. There's a part of me that hates that the world works that way. But there is something also about the power of aesthetics when delivering things that would typically make people uncomfortable, right? So the fact that this book is drawn so beautifully makes the word colonizer coming out of this man's mouth after he climbs out of a woman's bed. Yeah, that's not a great thing to say, but also the context in which it's said, you're so immersed in it that instead of being like, wow, that was jerky, it's more like, dang, I wonder why he said that, you know? (laughs) The first issue for me was really about humanizing him. Like he is a whole person. And honestly, I think that's what steps him away from your prototypical villain. You know, you see, he watched his father's body burn. He was pulled out of Wakanda. The person that he came out with is like, nah, man, bump that place. They don't care about us. Like you see his formative years are just rife with trauma. And it makes perfect sense. The person that we see in the next issue and the next issue and he just gets progressively more angry and murderous and seemingly ruthless but i don't even read him that way like it's like he is just he is a person who is bent on survival in a way that is socially unacceptable but that's it Mm. the second issue opens in like this was it just three page four four page sequence of inside a club and it is Uh like beyond sexy and it's just you know it's insane it's wild <laughs> and like you've got the you you can you can you are transported so clearly into this club the the sound effects of the the boom clap boom clap as the you know the characters are dancing the looks on their face that beads of sweat and then the the line that um killmonger says to night because she's like uh you know there's an interaction where he says I'm not watching you, Knight. I'm making myself immune. She's like, immune to what? It's like, everything you're selling. Nice dress. And it's just like, I just. Killer. Like, yeah. it just snaps. Yeah. And and like, okay, the other thing about this this opening is I just love the contrast of what the heck they're talking about <laughs> with these women dancing. Yeah. Like, it's just so, it's so spot on. And it pulls you into this place where the first thing I was thinking when I was reading it is like why are they at the club right like why are they at the club and then you see they you zoom out you see who's talking and it it's just perfect it's like a perfect entry into the second issue but yeah it is it's so sexy and also so murderous and that's usually not something you really see together unless you're watching like Kill Bill or something like it's just not uh Issue two is uh, there's two main fights. There's the one with Bullseye, which we've, we've talked, you know, it's the start of the Bullseye fight. And then, but in the middle of the book is that assassination run they go yeah, on the when they're in their masks yeah. and you get sort of like that first look of uh, like a sort of a Killmonger tactical look that has become so emblazoned in our minds. Um, but it's three double page spreads in a row from a craft standpoint Man, I I love it. I think it's the coolest thing when you let an artist just say, "All right, this is this is what we're doing. How do we want to do it?" And so I asked actually, I asked uh, editors Will and Sarah if 
Like, what were the scripts like? Um, and Will says, honestly, it was kind of an ideal collaboration. Brian wrote full scripts, but they were open enough. And Brian was vocal about wanting to make it his own thing that Juan was really able to have fun and really contribute to the storytelling, which, you know, as someone who's read a lot of Juan's comics over the last couple of years, like that is just, you know, rolling up his sleeves, cracking his back and going to town and doing a comic book the way Juan Ferreira does it. And it's, it's some of my favorite sequences in this whole run. Yeah. And there's so much action mm. in those pages. Like a lot of these panels are close-ups of people talking. You know, you have these these scenes where you're just seeing a person. I think about, I think this is in that issue. This is the issue where Kingpin's like in the limo, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. And you just have this beautifully colored background. But like, this is King, like he, that's him. He, you, This is who you're focused on in this panel. And, um, and there's no movement except for the colors in the back. But then you have the contrast of these really intensive, quite violent scenes, and there's so much motion. I'm just so in this story that I, I'm simultaneously marveling at the art and also not coming out of the story in such a way to go like, oh, what a wild choice. Three yeah. double H spreads in a row. That's so, you never see that ever, ever, ever. You barely ever see two in a row, let alone three. I think at this point, it's that thing of, okay, issue number one, you're sort of introducing the story, introducing characters. You're doing, you're doing a lot of work that way. Issue number two, we're digging into it. We're getting there. But then by the time that stuff starts happening, I think there is something that sort of lifts up beyond the exposition or the character work. And it really starts to become something else at that point. And I say that because... One right after that, we go to the um, the like backyard toss onto a horizontal tube like pool game, <laughs> but it, but it's a bomb and it explodes the guy's head off. Uh, we go to that to the introduction of Bullseye, and then as we jump into issue number three, um, it, I, it 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 my theory there I think is further backed up by this point where they have this cool shootout fight scene on top of this parking garage with Bullseye. Again, some crazy, like a crazy double page spread with, I don't know, 20 panels in that one. Well, Insane. I counted them. 22 panels. And uh, to clarify the language, I, we were saying double page spread, but they're double page presentations. A spread is usually mm -hmm. like one big image. One image. Mm -hmm. um, right. But the, yeah, this one in the in issue three is 22 panels because I had to count it. And it's not even, <laughs> there's, there's no conventional structure to it, which is right. uh, all of those double page, like sequences are to like elicit a feeling of speed and action you're so you're like pulled in and you're moving boom 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 you're looking all these places and it slows down and that's the only double page sequence in issue three because that's the mm -hmm. only action and fast-paced bit in there sorry tucker didn't mean to interrupt no no no, no please that's so that's so perfectly said and um and explained what where i was going is after that they jump off the parking garage mm -hmm. And King, that that page after that is maybe one of my favorite pages to this point in the story. When they're falling towards the ground and Eric says, King, and there's this amazing close-up of King as he's sort of summoning his powers and concentrating as they're speeding towards the concrete. And he says, relax, I've got us. And... Bullseye is smiling, looking over at them, and they sprint away. 
that's the page where I go, oh my God, we're humming. We are at a vibrancy and a frequency that is so expert, that is so good, where it's one of those, I think about it in movies a lot, where the way I think of it is just like truly firing on all cylinders. It's that moment where everything's a 10, the music, the narrative, the action, um, and it Mm -hmm. all comes together. And that's a rare thing. It doesn't even happen in every movie. Everything is happening at its fullest potential at the same time. Yeah, and for that to happen at like the top of an issue. <laughs> right. Like next thing you know, we're like watching Killmonger and Knight in this very intimate moment. I mean, both intimate, literally, like physically and emotionally. And it, it's just, I was like, wait. And it's like, if you read it, like when, if you read it as a full book, like if you read it like as a graphic novel, for instance, like you read it all the way through, this just seems like a continuation of story. But like if you're start if you start issue three and hadn't read issue two in a while, it would be like, wait, what? Like, whoa, we're jumping in real, real quick here. And then it's time for some love. <laughs> it's, it's just like so there's a lot of push and pull, but it's what keeps it's really what keeps the story interesting. Yeah, I think about the uh, Brian's background, a storyteller of every possible way. But comics don't need to feel like movies. They shouldn't necessarily, like, there's a very different way to tell a story in a comic book and a film or a TV show or a novel or what have you. But this, to me, is that perfect alignment of what feels like a, like, could be a film. If they took this and just used this entirely as storyboards for a film, it works. And the pacing, the movement, all the things that you were talking about, Nick, and then this moment right before that intimate scene the you get this close-up panel of night and her dialogue is we have death right behind us so we need to keep each other awake you can feel the cut the music you know what this feels like from a cinematic story point man i love this book so much yeah so good You know, like another thing here is something else that I appreciate as a person who's very attentive to details is that when you see these warmer colors used on the page, they are in moments where he's reminded of terrible things in the past, Mm -hmm. right? So even with like the house going up in flames, there's a moment even where he's talking about not being afraid and I think he's firing a gun. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, this isn't this isn't that scene just before they jump off the building Mm -hmm. like those warm tones and fire like fire carries a lot of symbolic weight in this book and i just love that because even as a reader subconsciously subliminally whatever word you want to use that starts with sub you're reminded that this dude has this really messed up past and that he's everything that he's doing is coming from a place of like unaddressed trauma and there are these things that keep happening that I'm sure continue to, you know, to use the language of therapy, triggering some of his trauma. And then you see him kind of act out of that. And you have these soft moments that follow these kind of really big, harsh moments. And seeing this vulnerability is amazing and beautiful and also kind of uncomfortable, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you think about it, after after somebody has murdered someone, you don't really want to see them like crying about it. Like it makes things confusing. Like I feel like we want things to be very black and white. If you're going to be a murderer, be a murderer so that I can just dislike you. If you're not going to be a murderer, just don't kill anybody and you're easy to like. But to have a person who is in the thick of these really intense emotions and 
is like taking people out, has this very, very strong vendetta and has a very big plan that involves a lot of death and destruction. And then have him be like, you're beautiful and I want you, let me show you my homeland. Like I was like, whoa, dang it. I can't be mad at him right now. Like I have to like remember that he's a person, which then makes me remember that I'm a person. And it, it makes you kind of frame your own way of moving through the world. Well, it made me frame my own way of moving through the world a little bit differently. Uh, I do want to move us into issue four because we see sort of the, the big betrayal to Eric from night through the end of three and into four. And that image of black widow at the beginning of four is mm-hmm. so striking to me. It like itched at my brain. I didn't know why it's because we change out so hard. Like it's a big turn from the point of view because we're so used to being alongside Eric's journey and now we're yeah. outside of it. It's so effective and so well done. And I love it. But this issue four has my favorite thing in it. And it is the subtle background changes that happen in the borders of the page, which I don't know. I'm sure it's happened a million times in comics, but like, I don't remember ever seeing it and ever being so like affected where it like caused me to tense up. King is thinking about things one way. Eric's thinking about things one way. And these are two very smart people. So we get this beautifully drawn snowy mountain battle between um, like shieldish forces and other forces and all of our main characters. But in the background, in the panel borders, Juan raises a level of blood red from page to page that increases as the battle goes on, as it becomes more difficult and more bloody more furious and as eric becomes angrier this is like that super saiyan moment where he's becoming like that (laughs) that, like level up power and from that pure anger and rage this is one of my favorite sequences in all of comics i just Mm. am losing my mind every time i look at it yeah and it's it, there's such a purity there too and also it's just really fun seeing Killmonger in snow like mm-hmm. <laughs> it's such a contrast from everything else you see him in all the flashbacks he's in typically in like tank top and shorts because he's in these warmer places and then all of a sudden I don't know for me it's like seeing black people in snow is always an experience I there's nothing I hate more than snow <laughs> and I'm like bro you don't even got earmuffs on like how are you out here with your African blood, just just out here in the cold, covered in blood, hitting people in the back of the head with axes and stuff. Like, yeah, it's very cinematic. Oh, the and... Axe. There's that line where Knight says to him, "Put the axe down," and it's a panel, and he's grimacing and blood shooting. That the way that they, the shadow in his eyes, you can't even see his eyes. He says, "I'm not done with it yet." I'm gonna flip a table. It's so good. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, it's oh, also... man, I was so go, go pissed ahead. at her, so yeah. mad at her in this issue. <laughs> like, I just wanted to fight her. And I think it's because you do, you, you develop this, well, I developed this very strong attachment to Eric. And not even in, like, a pity kind of sympathy way, but in, like, yo, I feel you, and I can see that you're a person, and I would like to give you a hug. And then you got this woman come through just being the absolute worst. <laughs> 
<laughs> and like how you get into this man's heart and then just flip the script like that. Like mm -hmm. I, anyway, <laughs> I don't ever want to see her in the street. That's all I'm saying. Um, then as we go to, uh, issue number five, I mean, one, it's so cool that like, of course, in the penultimate issue, that's where everything blows up. That's where it all goes wrong and sets us up for the grand finale. If the weight of this story, if the emotional stakes, if the scale of this story wasn't big enough, when you open up issue five and it says one year later, I, I'm stunned by that. Every time I read it, I'm like, oh my God, what a story. What a story we're getting here. It's so good. Um, one, Gherkin for our uh, London readers. Great Gherkin uh, thing. And then uh, Battersea Power Station we get a little bit later on. Um, but that we s just start there is so incredible. I think it's a really unique choice. It's something we don't really see that often. It just speaks to how good this story is that we're able to do something like that because the work's been done you know what i mean where it doesn't feel cheap it doesn't feel like oh we're gonna make this feel like a more epic story by just throwing in a time jump it really feels like that's sort of the only way we can get right. to where we're going is by inserting that it feels yeah. so vital and then you get that like there are maybe like 10 different pages in this comic that are that are poster worthy. Yeah, I mean, with. even look at the cover. You know, this is the those warm tones. You see the the image on. There's like an image of the him as a kid on the left. Like you can definitely tell that this is like, okay, yeah, this is like where is getting we we didn't got here now, and like the fact that he got hotter. I'm like, how? <laughs> how? <laughs> I mean, obviously you've been in the gym, but like. I like the use of the word gravitas. There's so much more gravitas to him as a character too. Part of that is amazing storytelling because in those first four pages in that scene, we never see Killmonger in full light. Is right. only in shadow, only in silhouette. It's a simple thing that if you're not thinking about it, it brings you so closer in. But when you read when you reread this story so many times, you look at those things, you go, Oh man, they got us. It mm -hmm. was so good. And then okay, let's talk about the contrast between Bast and the scary chaos goddess lady the warm tones versus like the rich purples and like the royalty of bast versus like the flame mm -hmm. of this other scary lady she's so scary like i feel like she's going to eat me <laughs> and she probably would <laughs> i love how simple this last issue is where it's like there's all the machinations all the exposition all the story has sort of been just perfectly set up and now we get the simple coming together, the simple two characters at odds coming together here. And, you know, I think there are relative to the other issues, there's way fewer scenes. I think there's sort of three scenes in this whole issue, maybe four, depending on how you interpret it. That's just masterful storytelling, I think, from um, Brian Hill, because one, I think it's just so obvious how wonderfully well planned and sketched out this story was you know and so obviously was from the beginning that the pacing is just so beautifully on mm -hmm. point like that um it's really interesting because it allows it allows us to focus on the relationship there between eric and knight and also the exactly like you were saying nick the sort of conflicts of the past and the 
the Wilson Fisks of the world and the Kings of the world and all of these sort of small time players mm-hmm. ultimately um, that are just sort of ancillary to Killmonger's life and to his story fall by the wayside and we're allowed to focus on that bigger struggle that bigger question between uh scary goddess and and bast uh like you said which is you know is so crucial to the center of this character because it's like that's really what matters those are the real questions for this character that's the real struggle for this character you know are those bigger life and existence questions there's two little bits of dialogue that he has right before the big battle and right uh, right before his last words to Knight that I love. It's like mm-hmm. he says, she's like, uh, you know, nice mask uh, and to him. And he says, I have better armor waiting for me. I just have to take it, which is like, I'm going to go for the, he's going for the throne. He's going for the panther armor. And then um, when she says, look behind you and she can see the betrayer, um, he's like, what's behind me doesn't matter. You, this nation claw, none of it matters yep. now. I have my eyes on the future. And I was just yep. like, that part right there. This is the part where I'm like, on the one <laughs> hand, you're this is really cool, but on the other, like I was kind of sad yeah. because it was just like you, oh darn, there's nothing tethering you to kindness <laughs> now. <laughs> yeah, he has nothing. Uh, and just that last shot, big full page close up of him eyes with flames dancing in it and is saying my king as he's talking to t'challa this, this is-, is terrifying like this is the one image where like <laughs> no i don't want no i'm not doing nothing with you sir you look scary <laughs> but all before that he looks wonderful and he his eyes do kind of match i, I do like that his eyes match baths like they're like the same color mm-hmm. yeah this is to me a perfect comic book my only critique of this I wish I had more. Yes. I was going to say, I wish it had been longer. Yeah, like, That's exactly what I was going to say. It, like, it's a perfect mini series, yep. but man. Give me, give me another series by them telling that year. Give me uh, anything. Man, it's, it's so good. Uh, I asked Will Moss, uh, again, one of the editors of the book, uh, a little bit if he could remember anything more. Um, and he just said it was one of those projects where the stars aligned. Brian and Juan both wanted to tell the best Killmonger story they could. They got along really well as collaborators, and he's really proud of the resulting story. The project definitely happened due to the success of the movie, but Brian and Juan didn't take the easy path with the with the assignment and just knock out a standard, quote-unquote, villain spotlight story. They came up with something special, a definitive take mm-hmm. on a fascinating, complex character. Well said, Will. It's like you write. Man. You know, back cover. Will is awesome, by the way. Like, yeah. I've gotten to... I've gotten to... My, some of my prose has been edited by Will. And I'm like, I like this white dude. This white dude is on it. <laughs> Tell, uh, for any of our listeners who haven't been checking out, maybe because they're a little bit older, but I think the novels are for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, tell them about the Sherry books you're working on. So I write a series about Shuri from Black Panther. So the little sister of the Black Panther, who is literally the smartest person in the universe. Don't at me. Um, and she <laughs> in these books is 13. So she's pre-comic canon. So they're they're definitely rooted in the comic canon. But I, I'm basically getting to build out some of her backstory. And it's all prose. But it's a lot of fun, if I do say so myself. Like, 
I got to give her a best friend. Like I like I'm literally getting to create characters and she goes on these adventures. The third one comes out. So the first two are already out. The first one's just called Shuri, a Black Panther novel. The second is called Shuri the Vanished. And then the third one will come out in January. I think it's January 4th. As of right now, it's January 4th, 2022. And it is by far the best one I've done. And like, I, I'm very proud of it. Like it, especially considering I wrote it in 2020 when everything was death. So being able to write anything in 2020, it is either the best thing you've ever written or the absolute worst. And thankfully, I think this is the former. <laughs> well, you guys are awesome. Thank you, Nick. We appreciate you. I have decided that I am coming back and that we're going to talk about Strange Academy. So like, hit me up when you're ready to do done that. Done and done. Big thanks again to Nick Stone for coming on the show. Uh, she is a triple D, a ding, dang delight. And I'm glad we got her. I on love the show. her. She's just. She's such a delight. Oh, my God. Um, getting the chance to work with her was amazing. And like, you, you definitely want to make sure that you check out this series. Yeah. The history of Marvel Comics, Black Panther, um, which will take you through the entire comics history of the Black Panther. Yes, for sure. This episode of Marvel's Pullist was produced by Ryan Pagos and Jasmine Estrada. Jill DeBoff is our director of audio. And Brad Barton is Marvel's Pullist audio development manager. And he doesn't like to show it off because also it's kind of inappropriate to show yeah, off yeah. your tattoos in weird, weird places. But Brad Barton does have a never time for clowns tattoo around mm -hmm. his belly button. He's just got the words in uh, like old <laughs> English font around his belly button. And it's it's a choice. Um, also, you know, speaking of revealing the crop tops, I mean... Also a choice. Big crop top energy. I'm Ryan. I'm Jasmine. And this is Marvel. Your universe.